This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Happy Friday here in the state of Iowa. It is Cyhawk Friday. People are getting pumped for this matchup between a team who beat Southeast Missouri State a week ago and another team that scored seven more points than I did against South Dakota State. But it's it's good to be here. Happy to be here, as a matter of fact. Turn my mic up. There we go. Now I got my microphone working. Got it. Uh, let's get right to it because we're going to bookend the show today with some Cyhawk talk. I got Nick Oson coming up from CycloneAlert.com at the end of the show. And we're going to lead off the show with my good friend Rob Howe, who came to the very last minute, and I appreciate that, from HawkeyeNation.com. Rob, appreciate the uh, the time. Now, my first question for you is this. How bad is Alex Padilla? Okay, because how does that guy not even get a shot to score points last week for a for an Iowa offense, for an Iowa offense that stunk? Yeah, I think it's a fair question, Mike. Um, you know, Alex came back thinking that he would have, to have an opportunity to compete for the job. He looked around a little bit, the transfer portal after last year, decided it was in his best interest to come back. Um, and I was just asking myself throughout the game, how much worse can he be? Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So why you have to think that he's thinking that, right? Like, why can't I at least get in there and give it a shot? So it's a very interesting situation that Iowa finds itself in, depending on what happens this week, Mike. If Spencer Peters comes out and struggles, do you continue to stick with him? And then do you lose both guys? I mean, it's a really um, sensitive situation right now, what they have at the quarterback position. What was it like in that stadium midway through, let's say, the third quarter? And I know one of the safeties hadn't happened yet, but what – I mean, what is Kinnick like? Because on TV, I had the TV on the deck, Rob. I was probably having a better time than you were. I was having some <laughs> drinks. I had some snacks. We had some Hawkeye fans over. We had some Cyclone fans over, too. What was that stadium like when a 7-3 game was happening against the Jackrabbits? That's a good thing they started selling alcohol in that place <laughs> a few years ago. Um, you know, the, the booze started pretty early. Um, I would say... Within the first few series, we started, and they were loud. I mean, it was loud, and that kind of set the tone for the day. I mean, people were disgruntled. Uh, you know, you wait all eight months off season to go out there. You hear all off season, hey, the offense is going to be better. We're going to simplify things. You know, if things are going to look, look a lot crisper, it looked worse than last year. And I think that's a big reason why most of the conversation this week, when it's usually, hey, you play the cupcake in the first week, boom, we're done with that. Let's move on to Cyhawk week. There's still a hangover, at least in Iowa City, from what they saw offensively last week. And, you know, that's kind of where things stand right now. And the stadium kind of reflected that, I think. I mean, the, the famous picture of, like, the big old fat guy that's sitting there with his arms crossed. I, mean, <laughs> I was like, I feel that guy because I've been that upset with my team in the stadium. And I was sitting with a guy who's a diehard Hawkeyes fan. He's like, yep, that's where we're, we're at right now. Talking to Rob Howe, HawkeyeNation.com. Follow him on Twitter at Rob Howe HN, Cyhawk game tomorrow in Iowa City. I, we always ask this about bad performances against little guys. They weren't looking past South Dakota State, were they? 
No way. I, I, I am not buying that excuse, Mike, because they lost to North Dakota State at home in 2016. <laughs> and, and, and these guys are smart about college football. We all see what, you know, with, with, ex, with the exposure that the FCS gets now. Still not great, but the good teams, you know who they are. And South Dakota State's not the Johnny-come-lately. They've been made the playoffs the last 10 years, and they made the championship game two years in the semifinals last year. I mean, if they were overlooking that team, shame on them because they they see it too often around the country where you see, you know, uh, David's, you know, slay Goliath. Yeah. So there's, no, there's no overlooking in college football anymore. At least I don't buy that. Yeah, ever, ever since Appalachian State or Appalachian yeah. State went to the big house and beat Michigan, everybody was kind of put on note. I mean, what, uh, Vatek just lost, and all these other schools are getting, giving – the big boys, the so-called big boys trouble these days. Um, back to Petrus for a second here, Rob. Did you see anything, and in all seriousness, because I joke out of the gate somewhat, did you see anything out of his 11 for 25, 109-yard, one interception performance that makes you see anything that he's going to get better this week against Iowa State? He had a couple throws that you're like, wow. Like the one throw to Arlen Bruce where he kind of threaded it in there, and you're like, wow, that's he just doesn't do it consistently enough, Mike. He's not accurate enough on a consistent basis. And you just have – I mean, I think it's fair to wonder in year three as a starter if that's – you know, I you know, I was racking my brain earlier this week to think about guys, you know, in college football and even more so in the pros – that aren't accurate, that all of a sudden become accurate. It's really hard to do. And that, to me, is the biggest question mark with Spencer Peters. He's got the arm. I mean, the guys on the telecast, I think, I rewatched the game on Monday, we're talking about him, you know, throwing 75, 80 yards, uh, you know, in, in practice and them seeing that. And that's great. But if you can't hit somebody with a 75 or 80-yard pass, it doesn't matter, especially when you can't hit somebody with a five-yard pass on an easy out. So, I mean, I like the kid a ton. He's a super kid. I want him to succeed really bad. But if you're not skeptical at this point, you just haven't been watching. You rewatch that game? Yeah, my wife thought I was nuts. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, I want to see. And it was as bad as it was live. Oh, yeah. I, I can't imagine it being much better the second time through. What is the size of the leash for Spencer Petrus? Let's say it's a, you know, they score zip in the first half or the first quarter. Offense looks anemic. Does Kirk pull him? It's against every fiber of his being. Yes, yes. Starting quarterback. It is so hard for him to do it. And if you listen to him and Brian Ferentz this week, it was night and day. Kirk came out on Tuesday and really were, I don't want to say making excuses, but covered up for Spencer, said the offensive line wasn't good enough. Receivers weren't good enough. Got to be better around them. Ryan comes out the next day and says, hey, he had plenty of time and he missed open receivers. So to me, that's a really interesting dynamic. Kirk is the guy and he's the one who ultimately makes the decision. But I get a sense that his offensive coordinator may not be in the same, may not have the same length of a leash. Well, it's it's funny when you say that they they're both on the opposite sides. Now you've watched the game live and you rewatched it on TV. What did you make of Iowa's offensive line? What did you make of receivers being open or not open? He missed way too many wide open receivers because a lot of those throws were easy. It wasn't like he was being asked to throw in tight windows. I mean, they were simple throws that 
you know, you're supposed to make at this level, but the offensive line was also awful. And that was what I got out of rewatching the game. I didn't realize how bad they were, but pretty much to a man. And granted, you've got one guy starting in the same position he was starting in last year, and that's left tackle Mason Richardson. Everybody else was in a different spot. I get that. But not that bad against an FCS opponent. Yes, a good FCS opponent, but you should be better than that. I was, I was going to say, if this was any other level up in, in an opponent, Iowa probably loses that game. I mean, if this is a uh, you know a, a Sun Belt team or a MAC team that might be just a tick better than South Dakota State, I think Iowa's 0-1 right now. Yeah, if they don't have an all-world punter and a ridiculously good defense, it's not. It's probably not that close. And South Dakota State, Mike, had that shot they took early in that game where they had the guy streaking down the field. Kayvon Merriweather sucked up, got got out of position. They had the throw there. Kid just overthrew it. It's a. It, it'd be interesting what how that game would have played out if South Dakota State would have hit that big shot early. Talking to Rob Howe for another minute or two from HawkeyeNation.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Rob Howe here on ESPN Des Moines. I'm Mike Wicket. Follow me, at Mike Wicket. Uh, Iowa and Iowa State coming up tomorrow. You know, I, I do, I mean, we're taking a lot of shots. There's a lot of negativity coming out of that. I got to say, Arlen Bruce did impress, I think, some people. I mean, he would have six touches for 78 yards or whatever it may have been. I mean, that guy is a weapon. And I know we talk about the offensive struggles, but step one, get Arlen Bruce the ball. Yeah, no question. I think if you can get the ball in space more to him, and I think that's what was frustrating a little bit to Brian, was that he had some plays called for Arlen that would have got maybe gotten some big big chunks that didn't happen because the throws were inaccurate. So, I mean, if you're an Iowa fan, you just got to hope that those plays are made going forward, that they get the ball to him and he can make the plays in space. But now there's a week of film, and the opponents know that, hey, this is the guy we got to stop. So it's going to make it a little bit harder for Arlen moving forward. How long is Nico Regani out? He's out at least this week and probably I don't see them playing him against Nevada. Nevada is probably the worst team that they have on the schedule. So we'll probably hold him out there and then bring him back for Rutgers in week four. Uh, I did not see any of the Iowa State game because I, like most people, don't have Big 12 plus. I mean, I couldn't even find it on an illegal stream. So I have no idea how good Hunter Deckers looked. I have no idea how the Cyclones look. What do you know from any film you've seen or any highlights you've seen of this Iowa State team? I saw, I'm with you, Mike. I saw very little uh, this weekend. I didn't even know there was a Big 12 point. <laughs> <laughs> for you. now, just for now, and, for a couple of years, yeah. it might be gone. Yeah, who knows what's going on. It's just going to be one giant conference, one super <laughs> conference in the country with pods. Um I did not get a chance to see him. I just go on some of the highlights, what I've heard from people. Um, seems like he has the ability to stretch the field a little bit more than Brock Purdy. Um, bigger kid. Um, and Hutchinson is, is by far the best receiver that will be on the field Saturday. It'll be interesting to see if Matt Campbell comes out and plays conservative because he's been willing to do that with Iowa. Even though he's had better offenses, he's been willing to just kind of play the field position game and play tight like Iowa wants to play. I'm wondering if he goes after it a little bit this week, and that's dangerous against Iowa's defense, but I think they have a chance to maybe take some shots deep because Iowa still has some inexperience in that secondary. You know, the last time Iowa State beat Iowa, I was not married and had no kids. How has Iowa dominated this series winning the last five? Yeah, and I know you've probably heard about it and talked about it a lot this week. The turnover thing is just goofy, man. I just... 
Nine I nothing? Is that what it is? Nine nothing? Yeah, in the last five years, it's 9-0, and it was 4-0 last year. And, I mean, we obviously saw the scoop and score last year, yep. how big that was. I mean, that's the question I really have about Iowa State coming into this one. You've got a first-year starting quarterback making his first road start in Kinnick Stadium. And we saw last week, what did South Dakota State have, eight or nine false starts? A lot of that was the fans. And it's going to be interesting to see how Iowa State deals with that with a new quarterback. Who wins? Iowa wins nine to six, three safeties <laughs> and a field goal. <laughs> Rob, appreciate the time. Thank you for jumping on last minute, man. I appreciate it. Enjoy the game. Try to stay awake. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Rob Howe, the best in the business, covering the Hawkeyes. HawkeyeNation.com. Follow him on Twitter at Rob Howe HN. I mean, I have seen a lot of football in my life. I've watched a lot of football in my life. I have never, and I think I'm not alone when I say this, I've never seen a team score seven without getting a touchdown. I've, I've just never, that game was so hard to watch. And if Tory Taylor, the Big Ten special teamer of the week, isn't on that Hawkeye team, I, I don't even know, if, they, they, prob, they may still win because South Dakota State couldn't move the ball against Iowa. But thank God for Iowa that that dude is on that roster, that that dude is that good because they started at their 16-yard line was the average starting field uh, field position for that South Dakota State offense. And, and when you're starting that far every single time deep inside enemy territory or even your own territory, I guess it may be, you're in a lot of trouble. You are. I mean, that is just one of those. Um, say what you want about stats and numbers. It just felt like as bad as Iowa was, South Dakota State, especially into the second half, was never going to get past the wall. They couldn't get past the wall. Meanwhile, Iowa kept getting the ball at midfield, couldn't do anything with it, anything whatsoever. And Rob's right. That offense on Saturday looked worse than the offense a year ago. Now, they didn't have Tyler Goodson. Tyler Linderbaum is gone. Uh, They lost one of the wide receivers who I think just got cut by the Minnesota Vikings, whatever. That That may be all true. But that Iowa game was one of the worst football games I have ever watched in my life. I like one nothing baseball. I like 14-7 football if it's a good defensive thing. But at least in those games, you see some sort of offensive execution. Iowa had none of that. None whatsoever. And I don't understand two things I don't get coming out of that game. One, how Alex Padilla doesn't get at least a shot at the quarterback spot. How bad can this kid be if he can't get a couple of series ahead of Spencer Petrus, who against South Dakota State was 11 of 25 for a buck nine? No touchdowns and the interception. How horrible is Padilla? Give that kid a shot. And the other thing I can't understand, and this is the one that I, I nepotism is a thing. We know it. We see it in politics. We see it in workplaces all the time. Brian Ferentz is the heir apparent, right? Like, we're all waiting for Kirk to retire, whatever that's going to be, and Brian takes over. The offense under Brian Ferentz in five years as the offensive coordinator for the Iowa Hawkeyes has never been better than 88th in the country. That's pathetic. Think about all the schools in the country. There's like 150, 130 D1 schools, whatever. Iowa's never been better than 88th with Brian Ferentz as the offensive coordinator. And that's the guy 
that is the heir apparent to the legend Kirk to take over? They're just going to hand him the job when he has done nothing to deserve it? Your offensive coordinator should be able to get, should be able to build an offense, design an offense that can score points. Iowa can't score. They couldn't last week against South Dakota State. They're going to play a better team this week in Iowa State. I don't know how good Iowa State is. Like I told Rob, I didn't see the game. I don't have Big 12+. plus. I couldn't even find... Kara, I couldn't even stream the thing on my illegal site. That that, that t- blows my mind. Because usually how it works is somebody's watching it somewhere. Some some nefarious person is watching it somewhere. And they put uh, it up on... They'll, a hero uh, is watching it somewhere. You're darn right. <laughs> and they put the link up to this particular place I go... And then that's there. Like, I could watch VMI games if I wanted to. Or I could watch William & Mary games. No. Couldn't find Iowa State and Southeast, who they play? Southeast, Southeast Missouri, Missouri State. State. I, <laughs> right. SEMO. But I just, I, I mean, I they're going to play a better team tomorrow. And if Iowa hasn't made a lot of changes, then they may not score a touchdown again against uh, Iowa State. And then Nevada next week, who knows? All right, uh, we're going to get the Iowa State side of this coming up at the end of the show at 12.45. Talk to Nick Oson. Going to make his debut from CycloneAlert.com. He's got a podcast out called The Cyclone Scoop. He watched Iowa State play. Like, I literally want to have him on so I can know what the game looked like last week. Who stood out? How good was Deckers when he threw four touchdowns against a JV squad like SEMO? That's at 12.45. The NFL is back. Before we... You know how I hate when people jump to conclusions, right, Kara? It's one of my least favorite things. The whole sports world is one giant jump to conclusions board right now after what we saw last night. I'll tell you why you got to chill next. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Wicket's World on ESPN Des Moines is presented by BetUS. Call 1-800-79-BETUS or go to BetUS.com. Enter code KRNT to get the biggest bonuses in the industry. It's 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. What's going on? I'm Mike Wicket. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Wicket. Coming up here at his Cyhawk. Uh, we, we actually have, if you're watching on the video, uh, the live stream over on the ESPN Des Moines Facebook page or my own personal page, whatever. Hello. If you can look out through, like we have a screen on the window because I was told I was not allowed to have the screen up any longer, but the office is right there. And there is an Iowa, Iowa State potluck going on. We're having a big party around here. It is Cyhawk week. Just talked to Rob Howe from HawkeyeNation.com. The podcast will be up after the show today. And then uh, you can check out all the Hawkeye information after the big 7-3 win over South Dakota State, one of the worst football games I've ever watched in my life. Uh, but then Nick Oson's going to join us coming up at 1245, and we'll get the Iowa State side of this because I don't think a lot of people saw Iowa State last week because... It was on Big 12 Plus, and I don't know anybody who has Big 12 Plus. Doesn't bode well for the Big 12. We'll get to that at 1245. So one of the things I like to do is to tell people to calm down. Now, I have been guilty of not being calm, especially when big situations arise. I think, and I've, maybe I've told you this story before, Kira. 
before you jump to any conclusion on a news story, when you hear breaking news, this happened, you know, horrible story here, this had whatever. I learned my lesson during the Duke lacrosse case when the Duke lacrosse players were accused of misconduct and I demonized the players. It turned out the players after, and I literally, like, it was one of my first times I ever learned a lesson about doing this job. And that was calmly, I know we all want to be first. That's what too many people in the industry want to do. They want to be first. They don't want to be right. They want to be first. And it's gotten even worse ever since social media came in because that was way back before Facebook was a thing and smartphones were a thing. That was like 2005, 2006, something like that, the nuclear cross case. So ever since then, I try to not overreact to what I see. Sometimes I fail. Ask my wife. <laughs> Sometimes I jump the gun. Last night, there, there was a butt kicking on TV. There was. It didn't look that way at halftime, but in week one of the NFL season, game one, week one, that first half, you're like, man, feels like Buffalo should be blowing the Rams out here, but they're not. The Rams at home, Super Bowl champs, back in SoFi, biggest game of the year. Rams were hanging with them. And then the second half happened, and then it was an absolute disaster. I got to tell you, how I, I was really, really surprised by what I saw yesterday. I did not expect Buffalo to go in there. I didn't think they were going to win, but I certainly didn't think they were going to win by three scores, and the second half looked like varsity versus JV. And if you have Josh Allen on your fantasy team, you are going to be good this year, as long as that dude stays healthy. Through for 297, three touchdowns, two picks. Now, before we anoint Buffalo as the Super Bowl champion after one game of one week, and at the same time, we're going to get to the Rams before we pour dirt on the Rams and their reign is over because of one game in week one. Everybody take a little breath here, all right? Now, I will put more stock in the fact that the Bills are a Super Bowl contender for sure. They obviously have the talent all over the offense with the quarterback, and they've got the great receiver in Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis, and they've got three or four wide receivers. Even Devin Singletary out of the backfield looked like a real good running back at times yesterday. And then you add Von Miller, and I'll be honest, I thought signing Von Miller to that massive contract, what was it, four years at $126 million or whatever? I thought that number was far too high for a guy like Von Miller at his age. And last night, he looked like Von Miller from seven years ago, the MVP, the Super Bowl MVP. But the Bills look for real. The Bills do look for real. All right. My neighbor is a you know what I saw yesterday? I was outside waiting for my daughter to get out the uh, for the uh, the bus coming back from school. I'm sitting there, I look over, and I hadn't seen it all year. My neighbor put his Bills flag out <laughs> yesterday before the game. And I'm like, yep, all right, John, we're ready. <laughs> I can tell you're ready. And so were the Bills. And they looked almost, almost perfect in that second half. And one of the things I noticed in this in this game. I mean, it was kind of, this happened three or four times. And if you look at the stats, I think they're about 95% on third down conversions. And this seemed to happen. Buffalo on first down, may run, get a couple of yards. They may throw a quick pass. Josh Allen may run, pick up five or six more. And then it was third and four or whatever. And everything was open in the middle of the field at that point. Anything, 
anything that Buffalo wanted to do on a third and medium or a third and long was seemingly right there available in the middle. And it happened over and over again. And I don't know, I'm not going to tell you the intricacies of the L.A. Rams defensive scheme because I don't know it. Not many, Nobody really does outside of Todd Bowles or Raheem Morris. Excuse me, Raheem Morris. So I'm watching this game and I'm thinking, God, this is just a cookie cutter thing. And it just kept happening on third down, third down, third down, third down. And after the game, Bills head coach Sean McDermott was asked about almost being perfect on third down. Let's not jump ahead of ourselves here. I mean, um, I thought, again, Coach Dorsey called a really good game, and the execution is the big thing, right, to execute the way we did. Um, but we go back to the drawing board um, when we get home and, and, and try and make some adjustments where we need to. Um, but it was, it's great to be able to convert nine third downs. Nine. So, but there's some things we can clean up in there too. Nine third downs. I mean, that is nine out of ten, nine out of 11, whatever it was. I mean, that is – that's how you win football games. When you're able to keep drives going, you get into third and medium and third and long and even third and shorts, but you get into those third down situations. You're able to convert, keep drives going. It's demoralizing to a defense. And it looked that way, even with Aaron Donald and uh, and Jalen Ramsey and adding Bobby Wagner. They just looked demoralized in that second half because they couldn't stop Josh Allen. Again, he threw for... 297 yards on 26 of 31. 26 of 31. This was a guy who was a 57% completion percentage quarterback coming out of Wyoming. There has never been a dude, I don't think, and I can't think of one. There's never been a quarterback who has gotten more accurate to this degree from a barely above 50%, not even 60% thrower to one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. That's a special talent there in Josh Allen. Again, he was 26 of 31. Now, he threw two interceptions in this game, and his quarterback rating was 112 if you're into that number. But Josh Allen was absolutely fantastic through the air. The back, door, the, the back shoulder throw to, uh, to Stephon Diggs, that should be illegal. They should make that an illegal play because L.A. couldn't defend it. And I loved watching Diggs and whoever toast Jalen Ramsey, like, you had to love that. You absolutely had to love that. Now, Josh Allen also carried the ball 10 times, had 56 yards on the ground and the score, and he had the very, now viral, stiff arm on the Rams defender. I mean, Josh Allen is he's a linebacker. He looks like Aaron Judge out there from the New York Yankees. He's just a monster, and he can move, and he can throw, and he's a special talent. But ESPN's Dan Graziano says that, Maybe, especially late in games, when you're up big, maybe Buffalo should limit those Josh Allen runs. If you're a Bills fan and you're watching that game and there's something to give you concern, it's that he's, he looked a little reckless on some of those runs. And some of them late in the game when they're already up big, you're like, why, buddy? Like, why are, why are we doing this? But, you know, Allen's response would be, look, I, I, it's important for him, it's important for his teammates and everybody else to know he's willing to do whatever it takes to win a game. And we've seen him play like this. And I think at, on some level he recognizes that, you know, he has to last and that, you know, at some point he's probably got to make some different decisions in the run game. But, I mean, the people that run the team, Brandon Bean, the GM, and Sean McDermott, the head coach, were in Carolina when they drafted Cam Newton. And it's very similar, obviously, body type and, and running at the goal line and everything. So they recognize that. They want to make sure that they don't beat him up too much. But, I mean, I don't know. Maybe if it's his first game, he's excited, he's fired up. Obviously, he has the ability to do this, and it matters that opponents know that. So, yeah, I, I'd give him a break. It's, it's a fair comparison between he and Cam. Big dudes, inaccurate early, 
special talent with their legs. Cam was a freak at Auburn. He was a freak for the first part of his career. But Cam can't throw. Cam's an inaccurate passer. Meanwhile, you look at Josh Allen again, 26 of 31 in game one, too. In game number one, because I mentioned in the onset here, I hate when people overreact. Don't forget that the Bills are going to get better than this. The Rams are also going to get better. I'll have more on them in just a second. You're not who you are in the NFL until October. It's true. These are basically exhibition games in terms of how many reps Josh Allen has with Stephon Diggs on the field. How many reps Von Miller has on that defense, which is pretty terrifying. Uh, how many reps Dawson Knox and how many reps Gabe Davis and Devin Singletary and Zach Moss and that offensive line, they're going to have more reps. They're going to get better. They are. Speaking of getting better, ESPN Sam Ocho, going a little sit of what, uh, what Dan Graziano had to say right there, says that Josh Allen looks even better than he did last year. But that being like the Last year, look at the AFC divisional round against Kansas City. We talked about that being like the best performance you can have in a loss. Some of the throws he made, some of the uh, runs he's able to do all throughout the season. Then this year, he comes out and does even better. And so for me, I'm like, he's already been confident. He's not afraid of anyone, but now his confidence grows more, and that's going to be a problem for every defense in the NFL. He does. He, he looks even better. He looked better in week one, all right? The Rams' defense or whatever defenses they will face will be better than this. I'm not knocking Josh Allen. I think he, like I said before, I think he's the front runner to win the MVP, um, and he looked every bit the part last night. Like, that is scary for the rest of the NFL. It's scary. It's terrifying if you're in the AFC East. I mean, if you're a a dolphin or a dolphin fan, you're like, we got Tua? <laughs> they got that guy and we got Tua? If you're the Patriots, you're like, we got Mac Jones? They got that guy? That's not fair. And if you're the Jets, you're like, we got Zach Wilson who's hurt, so we got Joe Flacco and they got that guy? Not even fair. Just not even fair. Head and shoulders above everybody in that division and the favorite to win the AFC and I've got him in my season prediction. You can check out my entire season prediction if you'd like to at ESPNDesMoines.com or follow me on Twitter at Mike Wicket. But that's who I've got getting to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. Kind of a chalky pick, I admit it, and I'm cool with that. I don't know who I've got in the NFC by logging on ESPNDesMoines.com or follow me on Twitter at Mike Wicket. Um, so coming up, the other side of the coin. What happened to the Rams last night? How concerned are people? I, I'm listening to Barton Hahn, and I listen to Kay, uh, you know Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, and everybody freaking out about the L.A. Rams. I'll tell you what Matt Stafford's going to have to do if he wants to actually be able to generate more than just 10 points. That's next. You're listening to Wicket's World on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Wicket's World on ESPN Des Moines is presented by BetUS. Call 1-800-79-BETUS or go to BetUS.com. Enter code KRNT to get the biggest bonuses in the industry. One zero two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. Happy football season! Happy Friday! My name is Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World 
Follow me on Twitter at Mike Wicked. Follow us at ESPN DSM. Hello, if you're streaming online or you're watching on Facebook. Hello, hello. Uh, coming up, man, I'll tell you what. This radio station has got more live sports than anybody else in southeastern, I'm sorry, in central Iowa. Uh, we've got the Cubs and Giants coming up tonight. Tomorrow, we've got Drake back on the field. They had a lead on North Dakota State early. They scored the first touchdown. They were up 7 nothing, And then North Dakota State came all the way back and wound up uh, winning winning by a lot. Let's just say that. Uh, that's what happens when you face the defending national champs. Uh, so we'll have Drake playing. Do you know who they play tomorrow, Kara? You, have the, you don't have it? No? I should know. I make the promos. <laughs> I'm the one that does it. Uh, is it Marist? Drake? Drake. Tomorrow? Yes. Uh, Drumro, please. It's all right if you can't figure it out. I've got Mo State. Missouri ah, State. Missouri S&T. Missouri, Missouri S&T. S&T. Not Missouri ah. State. Missouri S&T coming up tomorrow. We'll have that one for you. And then we've got SEC football tomorrow night. And then on Sunday, Kira, on Sunday, we have a triple header. Right here. We got a doubleheader tomorrow, one game tonight, two tomorrow, and then three on Sunday. We got the Ravens with Lamar, no contract. Uh, Jackson, I think Lamar is going to be just fine. If Lamar doesn't want if Lamar doesn't want to sign his contract right now, that's fine. That's on Lamar. And people are like, well, oh, the Ravens are going to let him go. No. If they're, they're not going to get a contract done, they've already said it. Guess what's going to happen? He's going to play out the year. Please stay healthy, Lamar. Please stay healthy. He's one of the most fun players in the NFL to watch. Uh, And then they're going to franchise him next year. It's not like they're going to lose Lamar Jackson, okay? They may franchise him and trade him like the Packers did with Devontae Adams and get a pick back if they don't think they'll ever get a long-term deal with him. But Lamar, no agent, no contract, playing out the last year of his deal. They're going to franchise him one year from now or eight months from now or whatever, and then they'll figure out where they go from there. So we got Lamar and the Ravens against the Jets early tomorrow. We got the Packers and the Vikings coming up tomorrow. At, I'm sorry, on Sunday as well. And then we got the Sunday Night Baseball, Cubs and Giants. So a triple header for you right here on ESPN Des Moines. Oh, so good to have football back. It was good to have it back last night. The Rams disappointing a lot of people as the champs opened up by getting, kind of getting their uh, their doors blown off. 31-10, they lose to the Bills. I already talked about Buffalo. And while I, I try to tell everyone to pump the brakes on most things, right? Like, generally, you can't get too high and too low, especially in week one of an NFL season. Remember the Packers last year, week one against the Saints, how terrible they looked, and people had all these theories Rodgers looks disinterested. Rodgers is throwing the game. This is what happens when you have a disgruntled quarterback who doesn't get along with his GM and the coach and all this crap. And I'm like, hang on. And I even said, go back and check the tape if you need to. The defense is going to be fine. New coordinator in Joe Barry. Packers defense was a top 10 defense end of the year, and they wound up winning 13 games. Chill out on, on putting dirt on the Rams, okay? They lost yesterday. This happens to Super Bowl teams. Maybe not in the fashion that it happened yesterday. I think this is the biggest blowout loss by a for a Super Bowl defending champion in 20-some years. But the Rams are going to be just fine. I believe the Rams are going to be just fine. 
Maybe Buffalo just is that much better than the uh, L.A. Rams. Maybe maybe last year was the anomaly, and this is the real Matt Stafford. I, it, it's week one. I got full faith in Sean McVay, who, by the way, right now is the first time ever the Rams have been under 500 in the Sean McVay era. They have never had more losses than wins in the entire time he's been there for, what, five, six years now. That's incredible. That's an amazing stat. Not the most amazing stat. Matt Stafford, 29 of 41 for 240, a touchdown and three interceptions. I will give Matt Stafford credit. He didn't sound all that upset after the game. We can play a whole lot better than that. I know that, um, you know, and, and, you know, as disappointing as tonight is, you never want to start the season away that way. It really doesn't matter if it's the first game, last game, whatever it is, you want to win them all. Didn't accomplish that goal tonight. Didn't play well enough to do it. I thought our defense played great in the first half. They get us turnovers like that. We got to do something better with the football, capitalize with it, get more points out of those. You know, obviously I can't give it to them um, in some of those instances, but, uh, you know, overall execution and just our capability, you know, capability of playing better, we, there's, there's a whole lot more there. You know, I was like, man, he just doesn't seem all that bummed out. And then I started thinking, A, should I get mad about this if I was a Rams fan? Like, why isn't my quarterback more upset about an embarrassing, demoralizing loss week one at home coming off a Super Bowl win? But then I was like, you know, Stafford's been a losing quarterback a lot in his career. That's what happens when you're the quarterback of the Detroit Lions. Like, you know the things to say. You know how to try and stay positive. You know the things that everybody wants to hear about, we're going to snap out of this, and I got to do better, and we got to play better. He knows he can play better. Matt Stafford is an incredibly talented quarterback, one of the most talented quarterbacks in the last 20 years, whose career was wasted in Detroit. Fastest guy ever to 50,000 yards. I think I saw that stat yesterday, or one of the fastest ever. Incredibly talented guy. Didn't seem all that upset yesterday. Sean McVay said that this loss is on him. We weren't ready to go. Um, I take a lot of uh, you know pride in that, and that's on me. I got to do better. There was a lot of decisions that I made that I felt like didn't put our players in good enough spots. So this is a humbling experience, but we're going to stay connected. We're going to all look inward. We're going to do a better job moving forward. But you give credit to the Bills, and then we've got to understand that we've got to have that mindset and mentality to be able to move forward accordingly. <laughs> Again, not upset. Like, none of these guys are totally down, and I think that's the right attitude you have to have. Like, you listen to sports radio. You listen to this radio station. We carry a lot of the ESPN national programming, and they are burying the L.A. Rams in week one, just like so many people buried my Green Bay Packers last year in week one. At least McVay is positive, and he was then asked later, I don't know if we can count the cliches here, but listen to how many cliches he uses to defend his quarterback who threw three picks last night. Yeah, a guy that just continued to compete. You know, he's he's a tough-minded guy, Ding. standing in there, no flinch, getting Ding. hit a lot, you know, and didn't have a whole lot of time. But I love Ding. Matthew Stafford. There was a couple unfortunate balls that get tipped up. You know, those are some of those things. I know he's going to continue to compete. Love Matthew, and uh, we're going uh, to keep riding. That's fine. He's got to say all the right things. He's not gonna, what, what else do you expect him to say about his quarterback? You know, he's not going to come in and crush him. I'll tell you right now, you know who's getting crushed right now? Fantasy managers who drafted Allen Robinson. Fantasy managers who drafted Cam Akers. We're getting killed right now. I'm in a league. A format is a guillotine league. And if you do not, if you are the worst team in the league every week, you are eliminated. You have a 94% chance of surviving week one just based on statistics. I am in dead last because I put all my eggs in the basket of Allen Robinson. 
Allen Robinson, a tremendously talented, maybe the most underrated wide receiver in the National Football League over the last three or four years because he played for the Bears. And the Bears suck. Their offense sucks. Their team sucks. The organization sucks. The management sucks. Allen Robinson does not suck, all right? And he got out of there, went to L.A. in a deal, and he signed on with the Rams. He was targeted twice last night. Allen Robinson was targeted twice last night. Cooper Cup. Now, Cooper Cup is the defending offensive player of the year. Cooper Cup was targeted 15 times yesterday. 13 catches for a buck 26 and a score. All right, fine. I've always been the guy that's like, Rodgers focuses on Devontae a lot. Cool, get the ball to Devontae. Tyler Higby, who's, you know, a good tight end, whatever. Tyler Higby was targeted 11 times. Allen Robinson had one catch for 12 yards, and that catch came early. And I'm like, sweet. They're gonna he's gonna look at Allen Robinson. No. If you drafted Allen Robinson, you're in danger of losing this week. If you drafted Cam Akers, the guy who's coming back, and everybody's excited about, they're not gonna give the ball to Daryl Henderson again. Nope, you're in trouble. Because Daryl Henderson got 13 carries, Cam Akers got three. Stephen A. Smith knows what I'm talking about. He's he says that Matt Stafford has got to look elsewhere other than Cooper Cup. When you seem to continue to have this addiction to a guy like Cooper Cup, who is an absolute yes. stud, and we know what he brings to the table. But Allen Robinson is no scrub. Odell Beckham Jr. is not on the field. Robert Woods is not on the field, okay? You, this is your number two option. You targeted him two times. So there's an addiction to that, okay? And if you're the Buffalo Bills, who has shown us throughout last year, despite the last 13 seconds when they couldn't prevent the Kansas City Chiefs from driving down the field and getting themselves in the field goal range, this is one of the top defense in the National Football League last year. They got playmakers all over the damn field, all right? And they're coming Mm -hmm. into this game, and you're going to target Cooper Cup to that degree and pretty much ignore Allen Robinson? I think that that's something that we have to pay attention to. I I think he's 100% right. You know, oftentimes these quarterbacks fall in love with their number one wide receiver, and they don't look elsewhere. And then the offense is limited. Look at the Packers. Look at Aaron Rodgers' dependence on Devontae Adams. Same situation. When you are locked in on one guy, like Matt Stafford is locked in on Cooper Cup, everybody else, while you want them to be decoys, they're useless, and that's plays right into the defense's hands. That's on Sean McVay for not getting the message to Matt Stafford. It's on Stafford as well. Rams are going to be fine. Rams still going to win that division, win 10, 12, 11 games, whatever. Coming up, we get back to the Cyhawk game. We're going to find out what actually happened at Jack Trey Stadium last week because I didn't see the game on TV. A lot of people didn't see the game on TV. Nick Oson from CycloneAlert.com joins me next. Follow us on Twitter at ESPNDSM. This is Wicket's World on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN, Des Moines. Wicket's World on ESPN Des Moines is presented by BetUS. Call 1-800-79-BETUS or go to BetUS.com. Enter code KRNT to get the biggest bonuses in the industry. If you're a sports fan, listen up. Your favorite sports book, BetUS.com, is back for their 28th year of NFL action. Hey, it's Wicket, and they've got the industry's biggest sign-up bonuses, up to 200%. BetUS offers their members the opportunity to cash in on all your favorite leagues, like the NFL, the NBA, MLB, and more. They've also got hundreds of new casino games, including the coolest European slots, and they've got live dealers waiting for you at the tables. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity, and you need to know you're going to get paid. You need a 
sports book that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horses, esports, and all kinds of crazy bets. Call BetUS today at 1 800 79 BetUS. That's 1 800 79 BetUS, and they'll walk you through setting up an account. Nobody in the industry gives better bonuses than BetUS. Join now and use my promo code KRNT, and you're going to get up to 200% in bonuses on your first deposits. Nobody beats that. Head to BetUS.com. Join today. That's BetUS, where the game begins. Get right down to the point with just 0.99% APR for the first six months on your HELOC from Community Choice. What the heck is a HELOC? It's a home equity line of credit. That means you use the equity in your home to get the money you need now to help fight inflation with an interest rate less than 1%. Only from Community Choice. Do the right thing and make a point to take advantage of this unbelievable deal. Go to unbankwithus.com to get started. Loan subject to credit approval and analysis. See credit union for details. One zero two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. This is Wicket's World. I'm Mike Wicket. So happy to have you here on a Friday, Cyhawk Friday going on, and uh, tomorrow it is Iowa and Iowa State up in Iowa City. Joining me right now, somebody who was in the stadium because I couldn't watch the game. I literally am going to have Nick on to tell me what happened in the game last weekend. Uh, from CycloneAlert.com, Nick Osen is with me. Follow him on Twitter at the Real Nick Osen. Nick, thank you so much for the time, man. I didn't get to see any of the Iowa State game because I couldn't find it illegally, <laughs> but I also couldn't find it because they don't have Big Twelve Plus. Give me a general thought on a dominant win by Iowa State over a team like Southeast Missouri State that you took out of that stadium. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on for the first time. I would honestly say that Iowa State did what they were supposed to do. You know, the opponent was not really to the level of Big 12 football. I think there were varied expectations for the Cyclones. And more than anything, I was impressed with Hunter Deckers. Not only, you know, his touchdowns and yardage, obviously, the connection with Xavier Hutchinson, but really making the right decisions for the most part, getting the ball out quickly and showing why there's a lot of confidence and optimism around this team and especially this quarterback. I talk to Iowa State fans a lot, and what I hear from them is he looked jumpy last year. He went in the the makeup time, the mop-up time, whatever for, for Purdy, he would get in there and he looked a little jumpy, little, you know, because he didn't have any any games under his belt. What have you seen? And again, just and we have to preface everything with it was Simo, but from what you saw in the previous times he would get on the field to what you saw last week, what's the biggest difference? Yeah, you know, I think people are pretty accurate with that. I remember going back and watching the Oklahoma game and I last year, and I think there was even some confidence and kind of growth within that exact game, right, from one series to another. So I think this year, you know, obviously you have the time and comfort within the offense. So he's been around throughout this year as the starter, knowing that really going back to the winter and spring. But what I've been impressed with, not only with my own eyes, but I believe it was, I want to say the offensive coordinator, Tom Manning, or maybe head coach Matt Campbell recently, just talking about the command that he has and knowing where everyone is supposed to be at every, really every play and every time, you know, that's kind of a responsibility for the quarterback, but to do it and do it accurately so well this early in his starting career, I think is impressive. And I think it explains why Iowa state really can open the playbook up so much and generally do so 
without having to worry too much about this new quarterback. I think it's obvious he can make every throw. He's accurate and can throw the ball deep. He's got great arm strength. But I think the mental aspect is where I've seen him grow the most. Talking to Nick Osen, CycloneAlert.com. Follow him on Twitter at the real Nick Osen, and he's got his Cyclone Scoop podcast as you get ready for tomorrow's Cyhawk game against uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, you mentioned opening up the playbook. There have been criticisms of Matt Campbell in his five straight losses to uh, to Iowa that perhaps he goes a little conservative with the playbook. Does he do that coming up tomorrow with this young quarterback making his first road start at Kinnick? Yeah, so I have heard that. You know, I, I wasn't around for most of those. Obviously, I'm a little newer here. But what I would say is knowing not only the importance of this game, but the fact that Iowa State is healthy, they have the talent. And honestly, I, I think they know what they have to do to actually beat the Hawkeyes, even though it is on the road. I wouldn't be surprised to see it opened up a lot more, whether that's going deep, like I mentioned, using a little trickery with some guys on the outside, maybe an end around here or there, you know, switching up some of the, the running backs that you see. I think they're going to go deep in that room like we saw last week against SEMO. Obviously, they went four deep there at least. So without knowing explicitly, because obviously Campbell and the coordinators wouldn't open up too much about their plans during this week. I wouldn't be surprised at all because I, I just think that not only with the trajectory of the program, but whether it's in-state recruiting or, or just kind of the overall ceiling of the Cyclones, I think this is a really important game. And it's one that I can very well see Iowa State winning. I don't love some of the weather forecasts and things that might change the scope of the game flow a little bit, but I still think Iowa State has enough talent and the staff is very good and has been around long enough to get a victory. CycloneAlert.com's Nick Osen joining me here on ESPN Des Moines. Follow him on Twitter at the real Nick Osen. Jarrell Brock, what did you make of him taking over for Brees Hall? You know, it's it's kind of tough to replace maybe the best running back in school history. Yeah, really tough. And I think he's done a fantastic job, not only ability wise, but Dealing with some of the buzz, I wouldn't say having to look back over his shoulder or anything like that because Brock has been known as the, the starter for a little while, but still just having so much other talent in the running back room and for him to lead and just simply hone his skills and perform like that, he showed me a little bit in terms of kind of being shifty and making a couple defenders miss because I certainly think of him as more of the physical and maybe straight line speed running back. So. I think Brock did a terrific job, and again, it's a reason where there's there's kind of an abundance of talent in that running back room, and I don't think his performance surprised too many, even with the opponent in mind. I think Brock is going to have a really nice year. You know, I, I hope you didn't have to watch any of the Iowa game where you haven't been forced by your employer to rewatch that Iowa-South Dakota State game because it was just, <laughs> it, was it was hard to watch, and I was sitting there on my deck watching it with my friends who are Big-time Hawkeye fans. I'm like, God, this is the worst football game I've ever seen. But knowing what you know about Iowa defensively, do they have a spot that Iowa State can exploit? I think they've got a couple, and, and that's not necessarily easy to exploit. This, this week I've been really consistent with that defense. I think it's one of the best in the country. Uh, speaking with some of my colleagues around the network and doing each other's podcasts, it sounds like, maybe an area that doesn't have quite as much star power at least yet is maybe some of that pass rushing ability for Iowa. So I do think 
that if Iowa State's line played like they did last week, I think Deckers can have time to throw and kind of along those same lines, throw it deep. I, I've mentioned speed consistently throughout the week. That's something that Iowa State has uh, at wide receiver, whether that's Jalen Knoll or Dimitri Stanley. I keep saying his name this week. I just feel like he is a player with all the attention on Hutchinson and Brock and maybe some on the tight ends room. I think that Stanley will be able to use some of that speed and route running ability to get open in the secondary. And if the staff feels comfortable kind of letting him loose, I think Deckers will be able to find that because Iowa's got great talent, including Riley Moss there, but you can't cover all of those studs at the same time. Jim Harbaugh struggled to beat Ohio State, finally got it done last year. I know that weight on that program. What is the the weight on Matt Campbell? What is the conversation around Ames about their inability to beat Iowa 0-5 now? Yeah, I would say, at least since I've been around, it hasn't quite been either as prevalent as you'd think, or you know maybe it's just the fans on, on my boards and things like that don't necessarily talk about it. I think it's at the point where, they're reflective of just how good of a coach Campbell is and how much he's been able to do with this program. But along the same lines, I just keep going back to that trajectory. I think it would just show kind of another level. The Cyclones have been very good in the Big 12, been one of the best teams in the country a couple of years ago, and clearly it's a much better program than it was before Campbell took over. But Iowa's consistently battling near the top of the Big 10, I would say. And if Iowa State can get a win, not only over Iowa, but at Kinnick, I think it just does a lot for the overall boost and future success of Iowa State. Nick, what happens tomorrow? I'm going to stick with my prediction. I've had it all week. It's gone down a couple points, but I'm going to say Iowa State 17, Iowa 16. Well, man, (laughs) another defensive (laughs) battle in this series. Follow him on Twitter at the real Nick Oson. Check out the Cyclone Scoop podcast, CycloneAlert.com, part of the 247sports.com network. Nick, thank you so much for coming on, man. We'll do it again down the road, hopefully. I hope so. This was a blast. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. There he is, Nick Oson again, CycloneAlert.com on Twitter at the real Nick Oson. If this game was being played at Jack Trice, I would probably give the edge to uh, to Iowa State. It's being played at Kinnick. I'm going to go a lot closer to what Rob Howe from HawkeyeNation.com said earlier about an hour ago. This can be a low-scoring game. Nick's score is probably close. 17-16, 16-14, something along those lines. Like, you just don't see a lot of points. Now watch. It'll be a three-overtime 44-41 game again or something ridiculous. Uh, but this one, I, I'll i say uh, I'll say Iowa State gets the three-and-a-half, but they lose 16-14. Something along those lines. Weather permitting. By the way, come down to Coles Commons. I'll be going to be out there from 1 o'clock until whenever the Uber takes me home tomorrow. Uh, my wife is going to release me to go down there and hang out. we got a watch party going on if you're in downtown Des Moines. Come on down. Say hello. would love to, uh, to take a picture with you and watch the, uh, the Hawks and the Clones. That is it. My thanks to Nick Oson for joining me. My thanks to Rob Howell for joining me. If you missed it, podcast everything, ESPNDesMoines.com. Kira, you are saved one week from talking about your fantasy draft. You are very lucky because we got to have a conversation. We'll do it again next week. Cubs and Giants tonight. More football tomorrow and a triple header here on Sunday. Have a great weekend. I'm Mike Wicket. Thanks for listening to Wicket's World on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. When she gets home, there's none left for me.